I'm going to um, open the scriptures today from the book of Colossians. I'm going to be reading a couple things from chapters 1 and 2. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there, or you can use the one on your phone, or you can just listen. But I'm going to start uh, in chapter 1, the 12th verse, and then jump over to chapter 2. Give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And then starting at the ninth verse of chapter 2. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you've been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this, your word. We pray that you would help us to hear it, not just with our ears, but with our hearts. God, we pray that our hearts would be soft, the word would go deep within us, and would bear much fruit to the praise of Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we uh, we uh, were talking, us, me and the worship team, and about should we, should we do this outdoor service, should we be inside our building, and... Um, one downside of being out here is you guys are really far away um, because everybody comes to church and wants to sit as far away as possible. So in the sanctuary, that means we have like two rows uh, that are like almost entirely empty except for my family and Tim Swan and Priscilla. And then everybody kind of jams in in the back. Here, you're like a half mile away. So it's real, and plus you're all wearing sunglasses, and I, I don't blame you. It just can't, it's like I'm staring into a sea of black dots that don't really respond. So if you're going to sit all the way at the back, you better give some loud response, all right? Or we're going to take that privilege away from you. You're going to have to sit all the way up here, okay? Your choice has been made. Respond accordingly. Um, we are, we are at the high point of the Christian calendar. I know Christmas gets all the, the publicity, but Easter is the deal for us. And we have to 
just acknowledge to one another whether you've been a church person a long time or not. It is a weird thing that, that we are saying to one another. And let's be clear what we are saying. Christ is risen. Some of you are about to come to the front now. Let's try it again. Christ is risen. Yeah, we're just going to keep saying that until we respond appropriately. Christ is risen. I, can, I heard that. That actually tickled my ears this time. This is the thing that we are saying over and over again today. And we have to stop and say, it's weird. And it's not just weird for us. It's weird for everybody who first heard this story. If you read the book of Acts, they're really interested in what Paul is saying until he gets to the part where he says, and Jesus was resurrected. And then they say, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I'm out of here. Or they throw rocks at him. Because it's just crazy that somebody would die and then be not dead. And the strangeness of that story is probably mixed in with, if you're really paying attention, what we're really trying to say about what happens in the whole Passion Week. That we are looking at Jesus 2,000 years ago, give or take, crucified on a Roman cross, and then a couple days later is not dead anymore, and we are somehow saying that is the central event of human history that changes everything for everyone, everywhere. And if you don't have the story straight about what we are saying, it can be really, really confusing, even if you're used to coming to a church service like this. Why is it that Jesus is dying on a cross, and that is somehow the thing that unwraps history and makes something completely new? I think a lot of people have some little bits of truth about that mixed with a little bit of misunderstanding and they get a wrong message. It looks like Jesus' bloody body hanging on the cross is somehow what a bloodthirsty God needs to stop being angry all the time. God must be really mad and he just needs to kick something. He needs to kill something to feel better about the situation. And so Jesus sort of throws himself between us and the Father so that God can get his licks in on somebody who can actually take it. And so the blood is there so that God will stop wanting to kill us. And Jesus saves us from that. Now the problem is there are little pieces of truth that are in there. Because God punish sin. Absolutely. All of Scripture makes it very clear that God is righteous, that He is just, and that He punishes sin. Does God have wrath? He does, for sure. But you and I think that God is like us. And when I lose my temper, my anger completely overwhelms me. It transforms who I am. My brain stops working the way it's supposed to work. And I basically, in that moment, become my anger. And when you hear that God has wrath, you think God is like that. And He was really, really angry before the cross. God does have wrath. It is not overwhelming Him. At no moment does God lose his temper or stop being who he is. It's impossible. 
What his wrath is, is his settled conviction that sin will be punished. But Jesus is not throwing himself between the Father and me and you. Jesus is working with the Father and the Holy Spirit, the triune God, who has conspired from all of time to come and save you and me from the jaws of sin and death. Why is there so much blood in the Old Testament and the New Testament when there is sin? It is not because God is bloodthirsty. He says it very clearly on multiple occasions. I do not need your sacrifice. He is not hungry and needing to eat animals or the flesh of Jesus. Why is it so bloody? Because blood is what sin brings. Your sin and mine inevitably irrefutably ends in violence. Now you can say, I've never killed anyone. Fine. You haven't yet and hopefully ever. But if you follow the footsteps of the sin that you and I are currently entangled in all the way to the end of where those desires will take you, you will find at the end of every one of those pathways the same destination. Death. Sin is actively conspiring to destroy you now. It is bloodshed that is waiting for you. And when sacrifice is put before our eyes in the Old Testament, when the sacrifice of Jesus is put before us on the cross, He is making it very clear to you what happens at the end of your sin in mine is annihilation, it is destruction, it is bloodshed, it is death. And the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit before time even began determined that death and bloodshed and sin would not have the final word over the world that God made. That instead, the triune God would rescue the people that he loved. And so you hear in Colossians 1 and Colossians 2 what exactly that looks like. What is it that Jesus is doing in these passages? The, the creator God through whom everything was created, by whom everything holds together, for whom everything was made. What has he done? He has transferred you from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the Son. What has he done? He has come in to the powers of death and he has vanquished the powers of death. Easter is the proclamation of God's victory. It is the proclamation that though the powers of sin and death are all over the world, rampant throughout the world, God himself has stepped in to rescue you, to pull you out, and to deliver you in to the life of his son, his own life. And the way that God chose to do this is not the way that you and I may have guessed. We understand victory to come through a display of force and of conquest. 
but God purposed to destroy death from the inside. And so when Jesus comes to the cross, it is not because he is stepping in between you and a God who has lost his mind with bloodthirstiness and fury. It is because the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have looked at his people and said, we must save them. And so as Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians, Jesus becomes sin. He says in 2 Corinthians 5. And in fulfillment of the prophecies in Isaiah 53, it pleased God to crush him, this servant one. So that Jesus spread open his arms on the cross and invited the very worst of the powers of sin and death. He spread himself wide to the powers and said, bring them to me, bring them upon me, bring the burden of justice for sin on me, Locate all of that on me and death and sin and justice did its worst and there was death, there was bloodshed and Jesus went into the tomb where all of us will one day go. And when Jesus on Easter steps out of the grave, he makes a mockery of all that would kill you and all that would destroy you. What Paul says here in Colossians chapter 2 is that it's like he parades this defeated enemy through the center of town so that you and I can see the shame of their defeat. All the powers and principalities, the very appetites of hell that you and I have cooperated with, Jesus drags them out from his empty tomb and parades them down the street and says, they are nothing before me. The love of the triune God conquers the bloodthirsty nature of sin and death and delivers his people from darkness into light. And you and I are given the place of Jesus' own life and death and resurrection. So that when baptism comes on our head, like Paul says, you are being embraced in the very life of God himself so that the resurrecting power of Jesus is the most important thing about the end of your life not the contents of your own morality, not the superiority that you have compared to other people, but the resurrection of Jesus is the most important thing that you can cling to as you march your way down to the dead after your Lord and Savior. Because the resurrection of Jesus is the guarantee that God will triumph over your enemies as well. We are here on Easter Sunday in the middle of this strange story because there is no other story that could be told that could deliver you from the murderous spirit of this world. And if you are here today and you have lived your whole life thinking that God is opposed to you instead of for you, you are called today to look at the cross and the empty tomb and to understand that before you're even conscious of history existing, God was moving his way towards you to pull you out from those bloody jaws. 
And if you are here today and you thought, I am responsible for my own deliverance. I hope that I can someday please God. You cannot, you will not please Him because you have conspired and participated with the powers of this world just like every other person ever. But instead of God delivering you to shame, He has made a way that your enemies would be put to shame if you would but trust in Him. And if you have never looked to Jesus as the one who will conquer sin and death, there is no day to wait for. The day has arrived. It is here. It is before you. And it is the day of your deliverance. If today you are ensnared in sin and all the consequences of a bloody, hateful thing that is sin and death, today your deliverer stands in front of you, the risen Lord Jesus. Today is the day that you ought to respond to him. And if you are somebody who says, I'm, I'm a Christian, like I get this, I'm baptized, I'm, I'm trying, I, I am not feeling it. I am not seeing it. I am, I am buffeted from every side. I am broken. I am bleeding. I am on the point of despair. And I do not know that I can make it. The gospel is good news for you today. The same as it was the first time you ever heard it. The Lord who has triumphed over sin and death will for you too keep hitting my face on this, will for you too be your victory and your deliverance. And maybe that just means that he will sustain you until the end. But that is exactly what he will do. You may have been betrayed and failed by yourself and by many others time and again, but the measure of your joy today is not about any other person other than Jesus. So if you are being swamped with pain and doubt and tempted to believe that because you feel this way or don't feel that way, you are being sucked out to sea, the hero in the story is the same. It is not you. It is Jesus. And he will deliver you time and again until the very end. Jesus is before us this Easter Sunday, and he is calling you to respond. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you have been moving towards us to rescue us from darkness, sin, and death. Even though we ourselves have participated, even though we ourselves deserve justice, you in your love have conspired to come and rescue us. And you are the victor. You have triumphed over everything that would ensnare and imprison us. And we confess to you that we are people who have crawled and clambered our way back towards prison time and again. And yet you are the victor. You are the one that has the victory.
And Father, I pray that today you would set us free again. For some of us here, we feel in captivity. We feel like we are just not able to move any closer to you. And God, I pray that all of us today would hear those doors being thrown open and would see the victory of Jesus vanquishing and conquering our very worst enemies. And Father, I pray for all of those who are here today who have labored their whole lives depending upon themselves, who have been seduced into thinking that their sin is not that big of a problem. It is managed and under control. God, I pray that you would help them to see the road ahead of them very clearly. It is not under control. They are not in control. Sin is in control and will take them into one destination, death. Father, I pray that today they will see that there is a way in front of them towards life. Jesus is that way. In you is all the life that we need and more than we could ever ask for or imagine. Lord Jesus, deliver us all together to experience more and more of that life. Shame the enemy before us today, God. And make much of yourself to the freedom and deliverance of your people now and forever. Amen.